Hi there, welcome to a special episode of the Divine Lantern. We are so glad you could tune in. With the blessing of His Eminence, Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower, and enrich. I'm Alana from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth, and I am your host for this week's episode. We start this episode with the Epistle and Gospel reading for the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. We'll then delve deeper into the meaning of the feast to the Church with a short summary. This will be followed by a reading from one of the Holy Fathers of the Church on the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Their sound has gone forth into all the earth. The heavens show forth the glory of God. The reading from the second epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brethren, whatever anyone dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? so am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labours, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness." The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I do not lie. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas guarded the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must boast, there is nothing to be gained by it, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I wish to boast, I shall not be a fool, for I shall be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, 
so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. And to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I besought the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. At that time, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The feast day of the Holy Apostles, Saints Peter and Paul, is celebrated on June 29th. Oh, foremost in the ranks of apostles and teachers of the world, intercede with the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. There are several great saints who are celebrated each year with the major feast days, and Saints Peter and Paul, the leaders of the holy and glorious apostles, are no exception. The Feast of the Apostles Peter and Paul is a major feast day that falls on the 29th of June each year, but is not one of the 12 great feasts. The Feast of Saints Peter and Paul follows the Apostles' fast one of the four major fasting periods in the church that begins on the Monday after the Sunday of All Saints or the second Monday after Pentecost. The other three fasting periods are Great Lent, the Nativity Fast and the Fast of the Theotokos. Orthodox Christians fast before the Apostles' Feast to honour the work of Christ's chosen twelve who work tirelessly endangering their lives for the sake of building up his church. We honour them through this fast, purifying ourselves that we may celebrate their feast spiritually and give them the proper honour that is due. In this feast, we commemorate the Chiefs of the Apostles, Saint Peter, who was one of the Twelve Apostles, and Saint Paul, who was initially a Pharisee and a persecutor of Christians, but was later converted by Christ and became a fervent preacher of the Gospel. 
Both these first-ranked apostles suffered martyrdom for Christ at Rome during the reign of the Emperor Nero. St. Peter was crucified upside down at his request since he believed that he was unworthy to die in the manner that the Lord did on the cross, and St. Paul was beheaded and buried at a place called the Ostian Way. Both have received eternal crowns of glory for their feats. The accounts of the martyrdoms of these apostles have been preserved and in the 4th century, St. Constantine the Great built a splendid basilica over St. Peter's tomb and a church over St. Paul's. By that time, the feast of Saints Peter and Paul was celebrated in Rome with festivity. Saints Peter and Paul rank first amongst the apostles. St. Peter because of his authority and confession of Christ and St. Paul because of his extensive labours for the Church of Christ. Through the Apostles, the Lord has built up his church. Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, exists throughout the world thanks to the Apostles and their successors. We celebrate these Apostles with due reverence because we are members of the Body of Christ whom they have helped to be established in all the land. The Lord is wondrous in his saints and the Apostles are the bright lights of the whole world who illumine the land with their preaching, as the Madden service says. Like all feasts, the Feast of the Leaders of the Apostles is celebrated with Vespers, Maddens and Liturgy, and Vigils in many instances, combining the three with other prayers. The hymns of the feast focus on extolling the Apostles and recounting their lives with praise. The reading for the feast during the Liturgy is taken from St Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, and it is his speaking of his many works and tribulations that he undertook for Christ. The Gospel account in the liturgy refers to St. Peter's ultimate confession of Christ as the Son of God. This very confession is the rock which Christ referred to, on which his church shall be built. The church was built on the foundation that Christ is the Son of God, not on St. Peter himself, according to St. John Chrysostom. Actually, the name Peter itself means rock. As faithful Orthodox Christians, it is important to celebrate this feast and be mindful of its importance. To honour the Apostles, we must participate in the Apostles' fast and not overlook its importance. That way we can reap the spiritual benefits the fast gives us and respect the Apostles who taught us how to fast and be more connected to the Lord. After all, the Lord rejoices when we honour his saints and ask for their intercession. Like every feast, attending the services for Saints Peter and Paul is the greatest way we can participate in their feast. We can especially learn from the Vespers and Madden service about their achievements and trials in a spiritual way and partake in the Divine Liturgy to receive the Lord's body and blood. Finally, it is customary to wish all individuals a blessed name day who bear the names of Saints Peter and Paul. Sometimes Goliva, a special recipe of boiled wheat, is made to one of the Apostles and distributed after the service. May the Holy Apostles, Peter and Paul, intercede for all of us and grant us to celebrate their feast day with a spiritual mindset and may we always have their protection in our lives. Praise the apostle and the saint.
of the Church of God of Great Antioch, the preacher for his name. He was chosen by the Lord for his knowledge of the law. With the words of truth and abundant proofs, he proclaimed that we should all preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, convince, rebuke, exhort, convince, rebuke, exhort with all of suffering and teaching. The teacher of the law, the disciples you abhorred, you arrested men in killing them for the faith that they adored. Then appeared to you the Lord, why do you persecute me so? You were rendered blind for a chosen time, then accepted his grand call. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, convince, rebuke, exhort, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all of suffering and teaching. Wounds, prisons, bonds, and beatings, all endured for the Lord. Journeys, missions, sermons, teachings, for the salvation of all. Sermon on the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, Leaders of the Apostles, by St. Gregory Palamas. The commemoration of each of the saints on the appointed feast day is an occasion for town, country, citizens and their rulers to share in rejoicing, and brings great benefit to all who celebrate. The memory of the just is praised, says wise Solomon. When the righteous is praised, the people will rejoice. If a lamp is lit at night, its light shines for service and enjoyment of everyone present. Similarly, through such commemorations, each saint's God-pleasing course, his blessed end and the grace bestowed on him by God, the cause of the purity of his life, 
bring spiritual joy and benefit to the whole congregation, like a bright flaming torch set in our midst. When the land bears a good harvest, everyone rejoices, not just the farmers, for your benefit from the earth's produce. So the fruits of which the saints bring forth for God through their virtue delight not only the husbandmen of souls, but all of us, being set before us for the common good and pleasure of our souls. During their earthly lives, all the saints are an incentive to virtue for those who hear and see them with understanding, for they are human icons of excellence, animated pillars of goodness and living books, which teach us the way to better things. Afterwards, when they depart this life, the benefit we gain from them is kept alive forever through their remembrance of their virtues. By commemorating their noble deeds, we offer them that praise which, on the one hand, we owe them for the good they did for our ancestors, but which, on the other, is also fitting for us at the present time, on account of the help they give us now. When we call to mind what they have accomplished, we add nothing to their good deeds. How could we, given that they are not even competent to dictate their virtue as it really is? For the sake of sublime rewards promised by God, they strove honourably to the limit of human nature and showed us a way of life that was equally sublime. We certainly do not augment their treasures by praising them, not at all, but we do increase their bounty to us by looking up towards them as lanterns, aglow with divine light, and by understanding better and welcoming their beautifying powers which comes from them. If, as we have said, we commemorate each of the saints with hymns and appropriate songs of praise, how much more should we celebrate the memory of Peter and Paul? the supreme leaders of the preeminent company of the apostles. They are the fathers and guides of all Christians, apostles, martyrs, holy ascetics, priests, pastors, hierarchs and teachers. As chief shepherds and master builders of our common godliness and virtue, they tend and teach us all, like lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Their brightness excels that of the other radiantly pious and virtuous saints as the sun outshines the stars, or as the heavens, which declare the sublime glory of God, transcend the skies. In their order and strength they are greater than the heavens, more beautiful than the stars, and swifter than both, and as regards what lies beyond the realm of the senses. It is they who reveal things which surpasses the very heavens, themselves, and indeed the whole universe and who make them bright with the light, in which there is no variableness, neither shadow or turning. Not only do they bring people out of the darkness into this wonderful light, but by enlightening them they make them light, the offspring of the perfect light, that each of them may shine like the sun, when the author of light, the God-man and word, appears in glory. The appearance to us this day of both these luminaries together brighten the church, for their meeting produces a wealth of light, not an eclipse. It is not the case that one has a higher orbit and is placed above, while the other is lower down and passes under his shadow. Nor does one rule the day, the other the night, such that one would overshadow the other if they appeared opposite each other. Light is not produced by one and received by the other in such a way that the latter's radiance would vary sometimes depending on the distance between them. Rather, both share equally in Christ, the everlasting source of eternal life, and have attained to the same height, glory, and radiance. That is why the coming together of these lights signifies their solidarity and support for one another and illuminates the souls of the faithful twice over. The first traitor who incited the first man to desert God saw him who had earlier made Adam, the 
father of the human race, later recreating Peter as the father of all true worshippers. He not only saw, but also heard the Creator saying to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Once the Prince of Evil found this out, being the epitome of the wicked envy, he tempted Peter, the first leader of God's faithful people, as he had previously tempted Adam, the founder of the race of men. Realizing that Peter was endowed with intelligence and a fire with love for Christ, he did not dare make a direct attack. Instead, he came upon him from the right flank, cunningly deceiving him into being excessively eager. At the time of the saving passion, when the Lord told his disciples, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, Peter disobediently contradicted him. He also exalted himself above the others, saying that even if everyone else were offended, he would not be. Because he had been beguiled into arrogance, he fell further than the rest, so that by humbling himself more than them, he might eventually appear more radiant. Unlike Adam who was tempted, vanquished and completely brought down, Peter, having been tempted and led astray a little, overcame the tempter. How? Through his immediate condemnation of himself, his intense sorrow and the repentance and medicine which brings forgiveness, tears, a broken and contrite heart, it says, O God, thou wilt not despise, and godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, and that they sow their supplications in tears shall joyfully reap forgiveness. Anyone who looks at Peter will see that through repentance and painful grief, he not only adequately healed the denial into which he had been drawn, but he also completely rooted out of his soul that passion which had made him fall behind the others. Wishing to demonstrate this to everyone, the Lord, after his passion in the flesh for our sake and the rising on the third day, used those words to Peter, which we read in today's Gospel, asking him, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? meaning more than these disciples of mine. But see how much humbler he has become, whereas before, even without being asked, he set himself above the rest and said that even if all forsook the Lord, he would not. Now on being asked whether he loves him more than the others, he affirms that he loves him, but leaves the word more, saying, Ye Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. What does the Lord do, since Peter has shown that he has not lost his love for him and has now acquired humility as well? He openly fulfills the promise made before and tells him, Feed my lambs, when he was referring to the company of his believers as a building. He promised to make Peter the foundation stone, saying, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. On the other hand, when he was talking in terms of fishing, he made him fisher of men with the words, From henceforth you shall catch men. But when he speaks of his disciples as sheep, he sets Peter over them as a shepherd, saying, Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. It is clear from this that the Lord's desire for us to be saved is so great that he asks of those who love him only one thing, to lead us to the pasture and fold of salvation. Let us long to be saved and obey those who lead us in the direction through their words and deeds. As long as each of us wishes to take the road leading to salvation, the teacher prepared by our common Saviour is at hand, together with the giver of salvation, who in his overwhelming love for mankind is more than ready without being called or beseeched. Christ asks Peter three times, so that three times he can reply affirming his faith, thus healing his threefold denial with his threefold confession. 
Thrice Christ appoints him over his sheep and lambs, placing him under the three categories of those being saved, slaves, hirelings and sons, or alternatively, virgins, chaste widows and those honourably married. But when Peter was asked again and again if he loved Christ, the scripture tells us he grieved by the repeated questioning, supposing that the Lord did not believe him, knowing that he loved Christ, aware that his questionnaire knew him better than he knew himself. And feeling under pressure, Peter not only confessed that he loved him, but also proclaimed that the Lord he loved was God over all, by saying, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest what I love thee, because only God, who is over all, is all-knowing. Once Peter made his heartfelt confession, the Lord ordained him shepherd and chief pastor over his whole church, and also promised to encompass him with such strength that he who previously was unable to even stand being spoken to and questioned by a young girl would endure death and even death on a cross. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when thou wast younger, both physically and spiritually, thou girdest thyself. Meaning, you used your own strength and walkest whither thou wouldest, doing what you liked and living according to your natural inclinations. But when thou shalt be old, having reached the peak of your physical and spiritual age, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, with these words, Christ indicates that Peter will die on a cross and bears witness that his crucifixion will not be involuntary. Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, meaning strengthen, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not, that is to say, out of this life. Our nature is unwilling to be dissolved in death, and Peter's superhuman martyrdom also demonstrates our attitude as human beings to life. Strengthened by me, Christ tells him. You will willingly endure all these things for my sake and bear witness to me, for the desire to do so is not natural, but supernatural to human nature. Peter was the sort of man who can be described in a few words. As for Paul, on the other hand, what tongue or how many and what sort of tongues can depict, even to a limited extent, his endurance unto death for Christ's sake? He was put to death every day, or rather, he was always dead, no longer alive himself, as he tells us, but having Christ living in him. For love of Christ, he not only counted everything in the present world as dung, but even put things to come in second place compared to the Lord. For I am persuaded, he says, that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He had zeal for God, and was jealous over us with divine jealousy. The only one to equal him in this was Peter, but hear how humble he is even when he says of himself, I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle. Given that Paul made the same confession of faith as Peter, and had the same zeal, humility and love, surely they received the same rewards from him who measures everything with completely just scales yardstick and plumb line. Anything else would be unreasonable. That is why the Lord told Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Whereas he said to Ananas of Paul, He is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings. Which name? Clearly the name we have been given, the name of Christ's church, which rests on the foundation stone of Peter. Notice that Peter and Paul are equal in prominence and glory and both hold up the church. 
Consequently, the church now bestows one and the same honour on both, and celebrates them together with equal esteem. As we consider the outcome of their lives, let us imitate how they lived, or at least how they were restored through humility and repentance. Even if we cannot attain to their other great and exalted achievements, which are appropriate to great men and fitting for great men to emulate, in fact, some aspects of their lives are probably impossible for anyone to imitate. Amendment through repentance, however, is more appropriate for us than for the great, since we all sin many times every day, and unless we lay hold of the salvation through continuous repentance, we have no hope of it from any other source. Repentance is preceded by awareness of our sins, which is a strong incentive to mercy. Have mercy upon me, said the psalmist and prophet to God, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Through his recognition of sins, he attracted God's compassion, and through his confession and self-condemnation, he obtained complete forgiveness. I said, the psalmist tells us, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my heart. Because acknowledgement of our sins is followed by condemnation of ourselves, which in turn is followed by that sorrow for our sins, which Paul calls godly sorrow. After godly sorrow, confession and prayer to God with a contrite heart comes naturally, as does the promise to keep away from evil from now on. This is repentance. This is how Manisa escaped being punished for his sins, even though he had fallen into many great and serious transgressions, and wallowed in them for years on end. As for David, the Lord set aside his sin because of his repentance, nor did he deprive him of his prophetic gift. When Peter restored to repentance, he not only recovered from his fall and obtained forgiveness, but was also appointed to protect Christ's church. As you see, Paul too was rewarded with his role after his conversion, once he had made progress and became more closely God's own than others. Repentance which is true and truly from the heart persuades the penitent not to sin anymore, not to mix with corrupt people, and not to gape in curiosity at evil pleasures but to despise things present, cling to things to come, struggle against passions, seek after virtues, be self-controlled in every respect, keep vigil with the prayers to God, and shun dishonest gain. It convinces him to be merciful to those who wrong him, gracious to those who are something of him, ready with all his heart to bend down and help in any way he can, whether by words, actions, or money, or who seek his assistance that through kindness to his fellow man he might gain God's love in return for loving his neighbour. Draw the divine favour to himself and attain to eternal mercy and God's everlasting blessing and grace. May we all attain to this by the grace of the only begotten Son of God, to whom belong all glory, might, honour and worship, together with his Father without beginning in the all-holy good and life-giving Spirit, now and forever to the ages of ages. Amen. Thank you all for tuning in to this special instalment of The Divine Lantern. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe on your favourite podcast provider and share with your friends and family. We would like to announce that in commemoration of St. Joseph of Damascus, Vespers will be held at 6pm on Saturday the 9th of July at St. George Cathedral in Redfern. For more details on this and any other upcoming events, please visit the Archdiocese website at antiochian.org.au. 
Have a blessed day and we hope to catch you next week.